today on the show, we're talking about understanding basic economics. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. You're joined today by co-hosts Trevor and Courtney. And today on the show, we're talking about the first item in our list of 25 things that successful people do. So I like this list. It's, um, yeah, I can't disagree with any one of these 25. And if you listen to the first episode, this is the, the original article we found was 25 things poor people do that rich people don't, which I thought was very negative. So we put a positive spin on it and we're saying, Rather than rich people, we're saying well, 25 things successful people do, and we've taken the negative, each negative item, and spun it into a positive. So this is item number one, and in the original article, it said, um, you know, basically poor people don't understand the game, and I'm saying the game really is economics, and, and fundamentally comes down to economics. So. We we're we're gonna kind of talk about that today. So the under they understand basic economics, and when it comes to that, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this episode today does not have a background in economics. But how does this kind of at a high level come into play when it when we are kind of just trying to understand it generally? Well, in the article, they they make a good point. They reference that you know why does an entertainer like a movie star make more money than a teacher? On the surface, you would say the teacher is delivering more value than the entertainer. But economics is all about supply and demand. So the more there is a supply of a particular skill set in the job market, the less it's going to pay. And the more rare a skill set is in the job market, the more it's going to pay. So an actor's got a very rare skill set. A lot of it, I'm going to say, is, is, is inborn. Like they're a natural theoretical actor or they're, they've, they're, very, they really focused on the acting education or somehow they, they hone their craft, become Brad Pitt, who's a, a very wealthy, famous actor. So if you think of your job and where you work and you think about it in basic economics and supply and demand, I'm going to give you my story. So when I started where I work now, when I first got a job there, the one thing I realized, so I work in finance and in, in finance, Ideally, you'd have a ton of information to base decisions on. So you would look at trends and analysis. We do a lot of financial analysis and planning. And if you could get your hands on on data, you could make better decisions. And I realized when I got there that that was a struggle. Everyone would would say, if only we had, you know, more data to base this on or heaven forbid we made a bad decision and then we'd, we'd say where did it go wrong well we we didn't know this is what the data was saying you know until after the fact and so I realized the data's there just people aren't utilizing it the, the, the tools were actually there to extract the data but nobody skilled themselves in, in accessing it efficiently we people could get the data but they couldn't get it in a timely manner so really good information too late is no good and uh, bad information right now is no good. It's it's so being able to access information quickly, efficiently, and also vetting the data, making sure the data is accurate. These are sort of a skill set that was missing where I worked. So I decided to become a data mining expert, and I'm not talking expert in the world, but expert in my workplace. And that was a skill that 
it, it, I looked like I was performing magic to some people. Like, so I, I, I and, but I, I, it was really hard at first, but I got good at it. And once people realized it could be done, I, it, people figured I, I, I had learned the skill before I got there, but I didn't. So anyway, enough about boasting about myself and my, my magical skills, but I seen it as an opportunity. So I seen a, there was a demand for this data analysis, but no supply. And I filled that supply void. And I was paid handsomely. I, I was promoted. I, I, I think I'd, it's one of the reasons I've, I've succeeded in that particular workplace. But I understood there was a demand. I seen the demand and I, and I, I said, okay, I'm going to fill that void. So it sounds like that really, like you said, really contributed to the success you have had within that role. A hundred percent. Like, I mean, that's just one example, but I, I, I think you also have to work your, so if you're an employee at a company, you have to look at your job and, and run yourself as a, as your, as a business, you are a business and, and look at it that way. Like you yourself are a, are a business of your own and you have to be in charge of marketing, time management. You, you, you have to work it like, like you, you want something out of it. You can't just be putting in time. And I think successful people, they, they are entrepreneurs at some level, even at their job. So putting in time, I want to talk about, about that because I think that is a very common phenomenon when we are in careers that aren't maybe where we want to be, jobs that aren't exactly what we want. We sometimes find ourselves just putting in time. So how do you find yourself? And I'm sure you've been in positions before where you know this isn't the end all, you know this isn't exactly where you want to be. So how do you make every opportunity an opportunity to add value, to pull something out of it and to give something into the position you're in rather than just adding time? So we're we're all paid on on the surface when you are receive a new job or a promotion you're being paid and it's described to you as you're being compensated for your time and that's how a lot of people they work at a per hour rate so again you're you you feel you're being compensated for your time that is that is how it's being sold to you the job and you know a company has a set of operating hours that you're supposed to be there. Even if you're on salary and you're not paid per hour, you, when you're given a job, it, it, you're sort of, here's the pay and here's the hours you're expected to work. So it's kind of sold to you as um, you, you're being compensated for your time, but you're actually being compensated for the value you're delivering to the organization. And if you see it that way, if that is the game you need to understand, if you can see it that you're being compensated for the value you're contributing to the organization, not the time that you're putting in, then I think that that is a, a launch pad for success. You can't help but be successful with that mindset. But if you are fixed on putting in your time and, you know, there, there's this thing and it's getting, it's not as an issue in my, it's not much of an issue today and especially with the COVID crisis it's not an issue at all but there's this thing it used to be called FaceTime and people would 
in, so in FaceTime is you want the person in the corner office to see you at work more than they see anybody else at work. So you would come in early and work late, even if you didn't have work to do. That was called FaceTime. So you want people who matter in the organization to see you there more than your, your people you're competing with for job opportunities. And when they're thinking about promoting somebody or, or you've, you know, a few people applied for a promotion, the theory is they will look, they, they will remember, oh, I see John here all the time. He must be a go-getter. And he, he could very well just be putting in FaceTime, not adding value. I don't believe in good organizations that they, they actually value FaceTime. Back in the day, I still don't think good organizations valued FaceTime like people believe they did. But today, the the millennials and like in in our current culture pre-COVID, I don't think FaceTime really mattered that much. But that was a mentality that existed. FaceTime. And I'm not talking about the Apple FaceTime. This is you being present. It, It just, it doesn't. And now with people working remotely, obviously FaceTime doesn't matter at all. Actually, you know what? I have this thing. So I work from home and we have an, uh, an, a messaging system on our computers and the messaging system will show your status and everyone you know is online. You can see them and there's three colors that you can be beside your name. There's green meaning you're at your computer and you're actively using it. Yellow means you're away and red means you're busy. Like you could be in a meeting or you could have something on your calendar that says you're, you're, you're not to be disturbed. So it's red. So you could practice FaceTime mentality by not letting your, your dot beside your name go yellow, which would suggest you're away from your computer. So that could still be out there and exist. But I'm a fan of, of value, not FaceTime, not, not putting in time, but contributing value. So I want to take what you just said and flip it on its head. Could an employer not think that you are being inefficient because you're there all the time and you can't get your job done in a normal amount of time allotted during the day? That's a very good point. And I, I think that, again, in a well-run organization, uh, if they saw somebody was there you know, before anybody and they realized that was, the, that was the last car in the parking lot every day, they might look at that person and say, you know, that person has to go. They are a drag on the organization. They, they are, they must be terribly inefficient. So I think that would be a great way to look at it. So I'm kind of veering off course a little bit here, but circling back around to, I mean, we're still talking about this, but, um, successful people, they understand basic economics and something that comes to mind when we're talking about the teacher versus entertainer example or teacher versus whatever example, just two people who kind of get paid different amounts for the work that they do. We hear it all the time when people say, I don't get paid enough for this. Can you talk to that uh, from your experience about how valid that is if there is more to, if there's something to that, if there is, if there is actually a reason all the time that someone is actually getting paid the, the, maybe the lower amount that they do for a job, is it always is there any inequity, would you think? So going back to the whole thing of this, what successful people do, successful people serve other people. That is what successful people do in, in, in life in general, but certainly in your job. 
the more people you can serve, the more noticed you're going to get, the more impact you're going to have on the organization. There, there's a, I, I, This is some advice I was given a long time ago. It says you want to be successful in your job, try to make as many of your, your direct supervisor or your boss's problems go away without them even knowing. And it sounds like you're never going to get rewarded for that. But trust me, if somebody sees their problems go away, they're going to f- want to figure out who's, who's causing that to happen. And they're going to want to grab onto that. So that's something I practice. But serving people, if you serve other people in your organization and you, you don't, so when someone makes a request of you, just say it's not even your job. I hear that all the time. It's, 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 that's, oh, yeah. that's not my job. If you can do something to serve your organization or somebody in your organization or somebody outside your organization who that would reflect positively on your organization, you're adding value by, by serving people. If you're not doing that, one of the traps people fall into is they, they want to do tasks. Tasks are easy. In fact, tasks that don't involve other people are even easier because people are complicated creatures. People add complexity to everything. So if you are serving somebody, you you have a, a personality to deal with at the other end. You know, they could be an abrasive person. They could be a, a flaky person. Uh, either way, you're, if you serve somebody, though, you're, you're, you're adding value. If you're doing tasks, you're generally... I mean, there's tasks that need to be done in an organization, but if that task serves somebody, then I think it's probably value add. And when you say serving other people, you are not talking about um, waiters or you're not talking about customer service role. You're talking about any position in a company where you work with other human beings. Yeah. So I give you my example. So I became a data mining expert in my organization and I actually didn't need a whole lot of data myself to do my job, but I realized a lot of people did. And so once I was able to get the data that I needed from my personal self, I realized I could get other people data that they needed and it would, you know, it would take them. Okay. So I watched people hand key numbers into a spreadsheet, pages and pages. So this is the mentality. So people would print off a 30 page report and it came off of a, a computer system and that they, they needed it in a spreadsheet. So they'd start keying this, these numbers into a spreadsheet because they wanted to do an analysis of it, right? They needed a trend or averages or they needed to manipulate the numbers. And I said, well, gee, if the numbers are in here, in this box called the computer over here, then we must be able to bring them over here. So I figured out how to do that. And I mean, this this sounds simple, but... When nobody knows how to do it, it looks like magic, trust, trust me. <laughs> so I figured out how to get it from point A to point B efficiently. So I thought, well, I can save this poor soul, you know, uh, six hours of hand keying, which could be littered with errors, it, with, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes of uh, manipulating a piece of software. So I said, hey, what is it you're keying into the spreadsheet? So they told me. And I said, well, you know, I think I know where that information is stored. You know, would this be helpful? And of course, I was able to add extra bits of information related to those numbers, which even made it more meaningful. And I was able to serve somebody. That wasn't my job. And I hate that. That wasn't my job. But 
I saw an opportunity. And so lo and behold, I, I enjoyed doing that. It became my job. And it was like, I can't believe they're going to pay me to do something I like doing. So, so that, that's how it, it, it evolved. I saw a need. I filled the need. And it became a job I, I got to do and I really enjoyed. So uh, two things from that. One, and this is, I think, an important clarification. You did not do that thing to get recognition. You did not do that thing so someone for an alternative motive. I'm sure you did that. Why did you do that? Well, I saw that. So you think of your organization in a couple of ways. So you can think of your organization as a whole company. And you, if, if that company is successful then and prospers, then hopefully that trickles down to you. And then I seen my facility. If my facility prospers and does well, hopefully that trickles down to me. And then the department with I, which I worked in, in that facility, if we prospered and did well, hopefully that would trickle down and compensate me. So I looked at it as if, if this adds value to the organization as a whole, then I'm going to win at some level. I'm going to be, I, I might not get direct recognition, but somehow it's going to benefit me at some level. That's so good. And how do you take that step back to think about how your actions can benefit others in the three layers that you just just explained? Because I, I'm sure a lot of people listening listen today too sometimes can, I know I'm this way too, can get trapped in kind of that very narrow-minded, narrow-focused, task-oriented mindset. So how, how do you bring in what you just described into your decision-making process on a daily basis? Well, you know when you really hit the, the wall on this is when you run into somebody who's not interested in your help. So when you're, when you're trying to, when you see an opportunity and you say, oh, I, I think I can help this person, you know, with, with something, and they don't want your help. That, that's, that's a very frustrating, when you know there's a better way, whatever it might be. So I, I, I've been working in the industry for 30 years. I see a new person come in and I like to share some wisdom. And since these, a younger person thinks, okay, old guy, you know, the things have changed. <laughs> you don't know anymore. But I, I still, I hate to see somebody struggle unnecessarily. And it, maybe I just, in charitable by nature, maybe I want to help people. Actually, this very podcast is, is me. This is who I am. I just like to impart knowledge and enlighten people on how I see the world. So Sometimes I hit resistance and people are, are not interested. I, I'm very determined, though. I don't tend to give up that, that easily. So if somebody is not interested, I will think of another way to sell this to them. Because I, I, if I really believe this is going to help, this is going to make a difference, I think of a different way I can sell them to um, the same thing. I, I understand I don't know everything, and I'm open to receiving help and someone's serving me that that's something else you have to be open to i'm gonna ask a question that's like super off track here but you've talked about this before can you tell just the listeners your philosophy on on providing help and the very clear distinction between what actually providing help is just because you use the word so much i just you've you've mentioned before that it, it might not always be convenient for you Oh, yeah, you'll know when you're... Help this is a very good point. I'm glad you mentioned that. So you'll know you're really offering somebody help 
when it's incredibly inconvenient to like y- the the teaching moments, the opportunity to help somebody is never it's rarely going to come at your convenience. It's going to when it's really needed you'll know you're really helping somebody when you have to go out of your way or stop doing what you're doing. Yeah, helping somebody or more importantly even teaching somebody it comes at the most inconvenient opportunities. You, but you, you ha- if you are really, if you really understand the game and you really understand economics and you really want to serve other people because the more people you can serve, the more successful you will be without question, uh, you have to prepare to do it at the most inconvenient opportunities. No, I think that's so relatable. And just to, just to kind of circle back around to the serving other people, in a day-to-day sense, does that look like prioritizing, kind of dropping everything else, maybe other tasks like a hot potato and prioritizing the opportunity that comes up that might not look convenient, but that opportunity to help other people? Like, I, I, just, I just want to kind of like really tangible way that we can look at this if, if I'm a listener and I'm, I, I want to know how I can implement this tomorrow it's my on on my day back to work so in a in a well in a good organization so everyone thinks their their schedule is full right you, you you quite often you will take as long to do a job as you have the amount of time allotted to do it in so it will fill whatever void you have available if, if that is the default mentality for most people so if if you have six things to do today and you have eight hours to do it in it will take eight hours if you have 10 things to do tomorrow and you have eight hours to do it in it will take eight hours so you you will use up all the available time to do the task you have that is the putting in time default mentality if you if you really look at at how be you know becoming efficient and 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 how how continuous improvement can help you become more efficient, you probably are 75% full. You know, in a, in a well-structured organization, nobody's, every, everybody shouldn't be 100% full and have no room for like, anything. Like you, you come in and you have to go full out for all day long and then end of the day, like you had no time for anything to go wrong. So when I say... A, a well-structured job, I'm thinking you, you should have 25% capacity for the unanticipated. So the unanticipated could be helping somebody, right? So you're not gonna you're not gonna jeopardize your your own responsibilities in an effort to help somebody with their responsibilities. You 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 are you're given some responsibilities, things you have to accomplish in a workday, and you have to get those done. I get that, but the, and you might be saying, oh, no, no, my, my job, I'm 100% full. There's no room for anything. Then you probably have a very poorly structured job. I, I, I believe 20 to 25% free capacity, maybe not every given day, but over the course of a work week. I, I Would you say you have 25%? Oh, for sure, because I know example of this is um, I'll, I'll, an email coming in and someone needs something from me. I will prioritize that in that moment because that person, I was probably working on a task before then. So I will prioritize that. So if you have 25% free capacity, 
you could use that to serve other people in your organization. I love that. And one final thing I want to touch on while we're talking about um, successful people understand basic economics is that successful people within this point um, solve problems rather than just doing tasks. Yeah, if you focus on, if you just focus on doing tasks, you're, you're doing busy work, right? You're doing stuff that keeps you busy. And, and we all have tasks we have to get done. But if you know you've added value and you, you truly understand the game is if you're solving problems. And that is, I think that is the linchpin to, to getting, to, to understanding economics. I mean, if you solve problems, you are in demand, and if you're in demand, you are going to be rewarded economically. And then one final point that uh, we haven't touched on yet too is is doing important work rather than urgent work. So that one is, it, there's an expression. I hope I get this right because I love expressions. So your poor planning is not going to become my priority. So I actually think I got that wrong. <laughs> but It sounded good. You you have to be proactive, like doing, if you're doing urgent work, but it's not important, that's, if, if you spend all your time doing urgent work, everything is due like yesterday, something's broken, something in your process is broken, uh, you are going to be losing at the game because you're so busy doing urgent work that you can't distinguish between what's important and what's just busy work. So, if you can find yourself focused on, if you, you know you're doing important work, you'll know if what you're doing is important. But it, it could be important and urgent. That's possible. But the urgent part, that, that can destroy an organization. It can destroy employee morale. So you want to stay away from everything that's, like emails that are titled ASAP. Those drive me crazy. In fact, you know what? I you know what? You know what else fun to, like drives me crazy too is that exclamation mark, the high priority exclamation mark. Oh yeah, like that's going to make a difference. Oh no, no. So when I send a request for information to people, I will put in there. I always put in, not urgent. I need this next week. And if I have to, if I have, if I need something now, if I need something like now, and just say it, it was my poor planning. Like I, I'm not in. I have flaws too, right? To just say it was my poor planning. I won't send it in an email. I will make that a phone call. And I will say, you know, I dropped the ball on this one. Uh, if you can help me, it would be greatly appreciated. You know, the, and I won't go on and on about how I dropped the ball. or I, And I certainly won't deflect it and blame somebody else. But it, I, I don't send ASAP emails. Like, that. that, that is... Anyway... If you can focus on important work and get away from the urgent stuff, the urgent stuff will destroy you in the game of economics and the job. No, that's a great point. So I think that brings us to the end of our first thing that successful people do. Successful people just understand basic economics. Um, we'll have the show notes from what we talked about today in the sh- we'll have the notes that we talked about today in the show notes. And uh, like we mentioned yesterday in our last episode yesterday, um, you can you can reach out to us if you have any follow up points on anything that we said in today's episode. And next week 
you can look forward to us talking about having a well-developed value system as the second thing that successful people do. And that does bring us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. And we can't wait to have you back with us again. Until then, keep it simple.